Remember a couple of weeks ago, um, I preached a sermon. Uh, this will be part two of that one, I think, maybe. So we have a problem. And our problem is our enemy, who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, he has been effective. And he's stolen something from us. Now, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking sometimes the enemy is so effective at his job, and he did it so long ago, that we don't even realize it's been stolen. If you've seen my garage, you know it's full of a bunch of junk, tools and whatnot. And sometimes I loan those tools out, or people borrow them, or they walk off. And I forget that I ever had a tool. And then someday, I see one and I say, you know, I used to have something like that. I wonder where that went. Do you ever do that? That happened to you? Because I think that's kind of what happens the way our enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he takes something so completely and so stealthily, and it's just gone. And we don't even realize it's missing. We don't even know that we should have had it. Um, is that possible for you? That you're missing something you don't even realize is gone? Uh, I have a little story here I wrote. It'll be really interesting, I think. Before I tell the story. If you realized that something was gone, would it be worth getting back? Or would you be resigned and just say, oh well, I guess I've gone this long without it. I don't need it. See, I think that's kind of where a lot of us get to in life. Oh well, it's gone. Or I didn't even know I had it. But I'm good. I'm doing okay. I guess I don't need it. So let's say, let's pretend that you had a wealthy father. Do you ever watch Alaska Gold Rush? They buy they find gold out of the ground, they put it in like mason jars and stuff. Let's say that your father had a really big mason jar full of gold. And he wanted to give it to you, but you were little. So he knew he couldn't trust you with it at that age. So he went out in his backyard, in his orchard, and he buried your jar of gold in the, in the orchard for you. And then, let's say, your father dies. Now your gold is buried in the orchard, right? You don't know it's there. You don't know you're a millionaire. You don't know you have all that gold. Then one day you're rummaging through the papers of your father and you find this note about some gold. And it says it's right there by the cherry tree. And you go out and dig that gold up. Wouldn't you go get it? If you knew it was there and if you knew it was yours, wouldn't you go do it and dig it up to have that treasure? That's how this is a carryover from a couple of weeks ago about a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And when he found that treasure, he sold everything he had, and in his joy, he went and bought that treasure. So today we're going to kind of continue on that theme, but the theme isn't about the treasure hidden in the field and finding it. The theme is, something that belongs to you has been stolen. And you want it back. Right? Because 
I feel like that's the first hurdle to get over. Do you really want it back? If your father had a great gift for you, a gift that would change everything about your life, and that had been stolen from you, would it be worth your time, would it be worth your energy to get it back? What if you had to fight for it? Would it still be worth your time and energy if you had to fight for it? Well, you will have to fight for it because your enemy is the one who's stolen it and he's not going to just hand it back to you. Now, I know that I think I've been crazy long enough that I got most of you convinced to be crazy with me. But we have an enemy. And our enemy doesn't dress in red tights and knock on doors asking for trick-or-treats. Our enemy is real. And um, if we're going to fight... I think we need to know how to fight. So that's kind of the first thing I want to talk to you this morning about is how to fight. Or do we even need to fight? 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Your enemy is looking for someone to devour. Who do you suppose he wants to devour? His own? No. This is directed at you, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's looking to devour you. Prowling around like a roaring lion. I know, you know, famous movie quotes of... uh, we cannot risk open war and open war is upon us whether you would risk it or not we are at war our enemy is like a uh, roaring lion looking for someone to devour and the target is on your chest you are in his crosshairs you are in his sights he does not want you to experience life and freedom in Jesus Christ Steal, kill, and destroy. Be alert. Take this seriously. We are at war with our enemy. He wants to devour you, and our responsibility in this is to resist. Resist. Here's my stuff. See, Jesus told stories like if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. He wasn't talking about our enemy. He didn't say if the devil takes something from you, give him your cloak as well. He wasn't talking about the enemy, the devil stealing things from us. Another person, yeah, sure, here, have this. It's not worth it. I love you more than I love my coat. Take it too. Not the enemy. In James 4, 7 it says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee to you, flee from you. So, in this battle against our enemy... We're supposed to submit to God. Whose responsibility is it for you to submit to God? Yours. I cannot submit to God for you. God cannot submit to God for you. You have to submit to God for you. This is squarely in the things that are your responsibility to do. Submit to God. You are the king of your domain. 
you have the ultimate responsibility for yourself. Now, on the one hand, you can try to run your kingdom through your own power and strength, or you can have a really good ally in Jesus Christ and submit your kingdom to the greater kingdom and submit to him and live through him. Submit to God. The next thing it said to do was resist the devil. Resist. There it is again. That means fight back. No, you can't take my stuff, Satan. And when I say stuff, I sure don't mean my coat and my hat and my car. That's not what he's trying to steal. But there's a promise here. If you submit to God, and if you resist the devil, then the devil will flee. This is a promise. It's a little insight into how we do battle. We submit to God, we resist the devil, the devil flees. Um, I've watched lots of movies. You know, I, I, I like... I like movies. They're fun for me. And it always seems that when some person is uh, demon-possessed, that in all the movies, if you're demon-possessed, everybody knows the right answer is to go find a, a Catholic priest and have him come to drive out the demon. That's All the movies know that, right? And I don't know if you've watched any of those movies or not, but when the Catholic priest comes to do that, and this is in the movies, I don't know anything about the real life of how they do that. There's always a, a lot of uh, violence and action and sweating and it's scary. And uh, there's usually sizzling skin involved and oh my, it's just a terrible thing. That makes a great movie. That's not the way the real battle's fought. You see, it doesn't say, submit to God, scream at the devil, and he will leave you. Submit to God, raise a cross up to Satan, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say any of those things, does it? Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. See, we think that somehow if we're going to be involved in spiritual warfare and spiritual battle, that there's going to be demons all around and we're going to be... Uh, terrified and and by some kind of internal force or external force a lot of things are going to happen and then they'll they'll leave maybe after we get beat up and thrown against the wall and our head spins around backwards it's not true it's not how it works in second corinthians chapter 10 for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is how we do battle. We don't wage war like the world does. It's not about some kind of... Uh, cross or Bible or holy place it, it's, it's because everywhere I go the power of God is with me he lives in me right the Holy Spirit indwells me I am the holy temple of God swords and knives and guns and sticks are really fun and I love them a lot but that's not how we battle with our enemy 
We don't use conventional weapons. Our weapons aren't anything like that. Our weapons have the power to demolish strongholds. Do you know what a stronghold is? A stronghold in this term is like, like a castle or a fort or a, a tower where you can have, you have the high ground above everybody and you can keep the enemy from advancing. Once somebody has a stronghold, then it's really hard to get it away from them, right? What are the strongholds we have in our life? One of them, um, don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you let the sun go down on your anger, you give the devil a foothold, a stronghold. Now, anger's not special. All of the sins, all of the things we have are the same way. When we entertain a sin, a disobedient, unbelieving thought, when we entertain that thought over and over and over, it becomes a stronghold. Another way of thinking about this is like the foundation that a house is built on. You put all these really big heavy stones on the bottom and then you build your life up upon that. Now we all have these foundational truths in our lives. We have them since we're little kids. One such comment might be, I'm on my own. There's a foundational truth of my life. It's up to me. If I work hard and apply myself, then good things will happen to me. If I obey the Ten Commandments, go to church, put money in the plate, God will bless me. There, see, these are those foundational truths we have. Now, I just want to tell you, all those that I just said, they're all not true. We all use them as the foundational building blocks of our life, and we all have them. They are the strongholds, the footholds that we give our enemy so he can climb up and ransack the house. The things that I believe that are not from God are these strongholds that need to be destroyed. How do I destroy these strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we demolish those things? Take, every, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do you destroy strongholds in your life? Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. What's that look like? What does it look like for us to resist the devil? The devil comes at us with his deceptions, with his lies, with his false view of the world. And we grab onto that and hold it to be true and put it in our lives and then we live our life based on this agreement we've made with our enemy. How do we break that agreement? We take every thought captive. Now, I know I'm at, this is a big step and I'm asking a lot because most of us truly believe that we are not in control of our thoughts. We think that our thoughts are in control and they, they move us. And that's not true at all. Because we say things like, really silly things, that are straight from hell, they're not from God at all. 
We said, you know, have you ever known somebody who, who fell in love and got married and started a beautiful family and then something happened and then they fell in love with someone else? You ever heard this story? And then you know what that person says? That person says, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. You ever heard somebody say such stupid things as that? I hope it wasn't you. But it was. I guarantee it. Because we all say those stupid things that are not true. The heart wants what the heart wants? I can't help myself? Really? I'm so out of control. I'm so mad. I love Emerson Eckridge in the Love and Respect series talking about a husband and wife. They're fighting back and forth and they're screaming at each other. And then the phone rings. Oh, hello, Pastor Tony. How are you today? Okay, I'll see you Sunday. And furthermore, we're not out of control. None of us are out of control. Your thoughts are not running wild. I mean, they might be running wild, but they are not in control of you. You are in control of your thoughts. And I know I don't want to take responsibility for my thoughts either. It's so much easier to just float downstream and let whatever comes in my head be the way it is. Well, guess what happens if whatever comes in my head gets to just sprout, seed, and grow? Guess what happens? My enemy, the devil, gets a stronghold in my life. And then he's able to steal, kill, and destroy from me. Has he stolen? Has he killed? Has he destroyed in your life? Yes, he has. Do you want it back? If you want it back, we've got to go to war. And we go to war quite simply by following what we just read here. We resist the devil. We submit to God. How do we resist the devil and submit to God? We take every thought captive. A thought comes into your head. Okay? Now, what's the source of that thought? I don't know. There's at least three. Maybe there's a whole lot more. One thing, the sin inside of you is able to put thoughts in your head, right? The other thing is the system of this world is able to put thoughts in your head. But the third one is our enemy, who speaks all the time. And quite frankly, his best trick is to speak to you in your voice. You know how he went to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, Did God really say... See, it's much better if he can say it in your voice, in your head, so that he can convince you that it's from you. But it works like this. The enemy places a thought in your head and in your heart. And you hear it. Then either you put it to death, or you feed it and make it come to life. That process is taking every thought captive. A thought comes into my head and I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not true. God didn't say that. We have all these little things. I caught myself a year or two ago saying one of these, no good deed goes unpunished. You ever say things like that? Is that true? No good deed goes unpunished? Is that from God? No. See, you know what I had to do when I started, that was popping up in my head all the time and then coming out of my mouth? Wait a minute, that's not true. That's not true. You reap what you sow, it's true. Not every good deed goes unpunished. <clears throat> Put the lie to death. 
bring the truth to life. Our weapons have power to break strongholds. They're very effective. It does not take us screaming and shouting, jumping up and down, rolling around, cutting ourselves, bleeding, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't take any of that. It takes this. The lie from Satan. That's not true. I renounce that lie. The truth is what God said. That's all. Maybe, maybe that was a little powerful and authoritative. It should have been. I have power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Especially over me. So, let's pretend that all the lights went off in this room. And let's pretend that that darkness that filled the room was Satan. Does anybody know how to fight the darkness? What would you do if it was dark in here all of a sudden? What would you do to make the darkness go away? Exactly. You'd turn on the light. See, when the light comes on, the darkness flees. We don't have to battle against the darkness. We bring the light. Jesus said in John 8, 32, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've been talking about strongholds and battleground and ground given up to the enemy. When we agree and stand on the, the lies of our enemy, it gives him a foothold. It gives him an advancement area where he can cause all kinds of havoc and sin in our lives and chaos in the lives of everyone else. But the truth, the truth now, that will set you free. Do you want some freedom? Me too. You know how I'm going to get that freedom back? The things that my enemy has stolen from me, I'm going after him. I want it back. He took it from me. I may or may not even realize I ever had it. I may not even know what to do with it because I haven't lived with it. But I know it's mine and I want it back. It's mine. It was a gift from God to me. I want it. Don't you? Will you engage in the battle and fight for it? Alright, so. What's been stolen? Well, lots of things. But I have one example this morning. Um, so I was reading a passage last week or week before. I can't remember. In First Peter chapter 1. Read, read along with me here in First Peter chapter 1. We'll, we'll get to what was stolen in a minute. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Excuse me. Now, we could go down through all of this and any piece of this could have been stolen from you. Like, you've been given a new birth into a living hope. Anybody not know that they have that? Anybody not believe that they have that? You've been given a new birth. You're a new creation in Christ. How about anybody here not know that they have an inheritance that can never perish? We have an inheritance in the kingdom. That is ours. We know that is true. It's being kept for me, kept for you. How about this? I'm shielded by God's power. 
until the last time. Yeah, it's a rough place here. But the power of God shields me. And so, I, this is just kind of set up to get to what I think has been stolen. Although any of this could have been stolen from you. And if it has been stolen from you, fight for it. Get it back. We are new creations. And we have life to the full. And God is with us and protecting us. Now moving on in verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We rejoice about this. I am a new creation. I have an inheritance in the kingdom. God is with me. We rejoice about that. Even though we have grief and trials. Suffering that comes. See, we rejoice about having this new life in Christ and about our inheritance because it's like winning the lottery. We saw that we won. The gracious, gracious gift of God is overflowing in us with this life and uh, inheritance that is to come. And, and now we suffer. And I don't like to suffer. Do you? It's not fun for me. By definition, that's what suffering means, right? It's not fun. It's a trial. We don't like it. It's not pleasant at the time. But we know that it is that pressure of the trial that refines us. Lana and I were watching a World War II movie yesterday. And at the end of the movie, she said, Man, people just aren't like that anymore, are they? And you know what I said? Of course not. Because we just watched an hour and a half of suffering to get to the end where the people were refined into gold. You see, we haven't suffered since the 70s. Right? Milk and honey land, everything's sweet and easy, and you don't even fat kids get trophies now. Right? Which I wish they started that when I was there. See, we, we don't suffer. We don't go through those trials like that. We ignore that. We make it all go away. If something hurts, what do you do? You numb it. Right? If you're in pain, you take pills, you get a massage, you do something. We do not suffer. It's not allowed. We don't suffer. We won't have it. Whoops. So, okay, we have trials that come. We don't like it. But we know it's temporary. We know it's making us better. And we know that it will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. All right, now we're getting to it. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Could you go to that next one? Did you read that? You see what that said? It says that you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now when I read that, that's exactly what I did. I highlighted that. Really? Tony, are you filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy? Well, sometimes I'm happy. 
It doesn't say sometimes, does it? It says filled with. See, I know words are hard, but if you take a glass and you put some liquid in it and it goes all the way to the top, that means it's filled. Right? I am the, I'm the jar, I'm the container, and this verse says I've been filled with something. What is it? Inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, if it's only me, I apologize for wasting your time. Maybe you learned something in how to get battle done. But I don't think it's only me. But if you're, if you're filled with this, then praise God, show us how. But what I see is, the people I'm around, which would be you all, <laughs> you don't appear to be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. No offense. See, anytime you want to offend somebody, you just add no offense, and then you can say whatever you want. See, now, I want this, right? Don't you? I want to be filled. Does this say that I, I can be, or someday, or whatever? You, you know, I know English is hard, but this is past tense. Little hint, that ED on the past of filled, that's past tense. This is true. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. It's true about you. Now, my question to you is, is that how you live? Because I don't. And that's the definition of something's been stolen from me. God has given me an inexpressible and glorious joy and my enemy has taken it from me and I live like like I do. Peaks and valleys, highs and lows, I'm all over the place. Some days I'm happy, some days I'm a mess. Right? What about you? Is this something you would fight to get back? Could you imagine what it would be like <clears throat> to wake up every day Filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy? Is that even possible? See, the truth is, it's not even possible. It's your reality. It's what God has given you. It's yours for the taking. Remember the gold buried under the cherry tree out in the yard? It's yours. It has your name on it. You have this joy available. Do you want it? You're going to have to fight for it because the enemy wants to steal it. He does not want you to be joyful. He wants you to be weary. He wants you to work hard. He wants you to feel like you're one foot in the grave at every moment. Now, remember, we have to take this in context. We just read about how we're going to have trials and suffering. So, I'm not saying every day is uh, gumdrops and rainbows. You will, have, you will suffer as you live this life in Jesus Christ. You will. Is it possible to have joy while you suffer? Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of any kind. See, that's the way this is supposed to work. How do you think the world would view you or me if we were filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
You ever around somebody who's happy? They tend to make you happy, don't they? It's contagious. I've been filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's a gift to me from God through Jesus Christ. I've got to fight for that because the enemy wants to take it away from me. And I fight for it like this. When I wake up in the morning and I'm just tired and exhausted and I don't want to go. And another day. It's Monday again this week. Take every thought captive. You know what I have been given? A new life in the hope of Jesus Christ. I have an inheritance away, set away from me that won't spoil. It's not gonna, my inheritance can't be stolen. I'm a child of the king. I've been equipped with everything I need for every, every righteous act he's called me into. You see how as you start saying the truth, turning on the light, the darkness goes away. Bring the truth. It will set you free. The truth is this. You have been filled with the glorious, inexpressible joy. That's a fact. That's who you are. Now if you say, okay Tony, I believe you that that's the truth, but I sure haven't been experiencing that. That's my point. Your experience is being stolen from you. You can get it back. By taking your thoughts captive. You're not the end of the whip being jerked around here and there. That's not who you are. You're a child of the king and you have life through Jesus Christ. It is available to you. So, God, I submit to you. I believe that I have been filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Jesus, you are my Lord. My thoughts belong to you, Jesus. You're the one that determines what I think. Satan, you can no longer take up residence in my head. This place belongs to Jesus. Here is the truth. I am filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Every time a thought comes in that opposes that truth, renounce that other thought. Take every thought captive. I am filled with joy. I'm filled with joy. It's the truth. I don't care what my circumstances show. I'm filled with joy. Do you know what God has given us? Oh my word, I was dead. And now I'm alive. Say these things to yourself that you know are true. The things that Jesus has done for you and to you and through you. Say them out loud. Take every thought captive. It's available. I know, you know, the crazy guy comes on, on the TV and he tells me about this product that's it's just amazing. Sham wow. That is the best thing ever. 
And, and I know, see, we're conditioned. And I just told you something that is so incredible and so life-changing that from this day forward, you can have joy. And, and you're saying, oh, that, that won't work. Won't work. And do you know who's telling you it won't work? Your lying enemy. That's who's telling you that. It's his deception. It's the way he works. It will work. Not because Tony said so, but because God gave it to you. Inexpressible and glorious joy is what you have. Will we have bad days? Yes. Can you have joy through a bad day? Yes. Yes, you can. It's the gift. It's what's been given to you. And I want it. Let's pray. Jesus, when we consider what you've done, the sacrifice you paid, and the result of it, the transformation that's taken place in us, your followers, the way we have crossed over from death to life, the way our spirit has been joined with your spirit, the way we have eyes to see and ears to hear, the way our hearts are now soft and full of goodness and righteousness. Jesus, we're overwhelmed. The result of that is we have an inexpressible and glorious joy. And, and Jesus, I want that. I want that every day. <coughs> Satan, you don't, you don't get to steal that anymore. That's mine. That's a gift from my Father to me. And I want it. So I submit to you, God. I believe in you and your truth. Satan, no more agreements with your lies. I renounce them. I renounce that nothing ever good happens. I renounce that things don't work out. I renounce that all is lost and we're hopeless. I renounce that. Because I have been filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And we pray it all in your name. Amen.